name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. I have to tell you, I'm very shy uh, and embarrassed, not in general, in life. I used to be, but I kind of, over time, have found methods to get over my shyness. Um, but no, I'm very shy and embarrassed to be speaking about Abunab Shoy Kamil for a multitude of reasons. For one, um, I've never met him. Um, he died in 79, I was born in 1980. For two, um, I think all priests, I, I shouldn't speak on behalf of all priests, but I think all of us have like, go through a phase of like a deep, severe inferiority complex when we think about Abunab Shoy Kamil because uh, he's, he's uh, you know, uh, it seems in the minds and hearts of everyone who knew him personally, he was just larger than life. Uh, and um, it seems like there's nobody, it seems physically impossible to do, to do, actually do all, all the things that he used to do when he was well and then even when he was sick afterwards. Um, I can speak to you a little bit from a, per, from a, like a place of some personal knowledge, not, not much personal knowledge, but some, um, in that uh, in, during my 40 days uh, uh, after I was ordained, um, I spent 35 days in the monastery and then I asked to be uh, allowed to leave early and they accepted for me to leave early. And I went and spent the last few days with Tosonian jail. Uh, and uh, I got to, uh, you know, really have, uh, you know, first, first hand uh, eyewitness from her, and and uh, and and sometimes I feel like those three or four days I spent with Sonia and Jill were the really the, the, the best part of my of my forty days, uh, you know, really. So I learned a lot myself, also. Um, through my parents and my spiritual fathers uh, that would like have, you know, my father of confession, um, previous father of confession, they were all the children of, of Abun Abshoi. Um, a note about them being the children of Abun Abshoi, um, they all say that Abun Abshoi never referred to them as his children. Like he always referred to them as his, as his fathers. He never saw the other priests who were his children as his children. He saw them as his fathers, um, not just as a matter of etiquette and a word that he would say. Um, and there's a beautiful book written by Buna Tadros uh, called, uh, I think, The Pastoral Care in the Life of Buna Pshoi Kamil or something like that. And there's a section in it which talks about how even when Abun Shoy was, you know, in his in his last day, literally the last day of his life, um, he asked Abuna Tadros to swing by, and so he came, of course, and he told him, you know, I think I'm I'm going to depart soon. Can you please, you know, hear my confession and uh, and pray the absolution for me? And Abuna Tadros was, you know, shocked and said, you know, uh, I mean. Of course, but Abuna, you, you are you're our father, and so on and so on. And he insisted, and so Abuna Tadros prayed for him. And then a little bit later, uh, two other priests passed by to see Abuna, and he, I said the same thing to them, you know. And so, in no ways did he ever uh, did he ever see himself as um, 
as more than that. But I wanted to share what I, want, what, what I wanted to share with you specifically today um, was something that Tasonian Jail said to me. Uh, I think my wife was with me at that point, and she asked Tasonian Jail, um, "Do you do you remember Abu Nabshoi ever being upset? And if so, what was he upset about?" And Sonia Jill immediately responded, like without a, a hint of hesitation, she responded and said, Abu um, Shoy was never upset. And I mean, that's like a pretty high bar. And then she paused and she said, no, 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 that's not right, that's not true. I remember that he got upset twice. <laughs> so in the, in the entirety of the time that she knew him, she had only seen him get upset twice. And she said the only thing that would ever upset Abuna was if he saw that a soul was in danger, or that a soul was perishing. He had like unlimited hope and faith in Christ. But when he saw that a soul was, was in danger of hell, then he was upset. And she told us one story, I'll save you all the details, but it was a, he was in LA. And he had some kind of, uh, there was some kind of confrontation with, with uh, you know, a man in the church there. And um, it ended with Abu Nabshoi being forced to prohibit him. Um, and Abu Nabshoi came home crying. And he just cried the rest of the evening. And he cried and prayed all night for that man. Um, and she said, she told me he would, he would every day... He would, she would hear him praying, Lord, grant me two things in this day. He prayed this prayer, she says, every morning that she can remember. Grant me to be obedient to you and grant me not to prohibit anyone today. Ahrim had today, you know, uh, the opposite of absolve, you know, like it's saying the absolution, those who, you know, Sins you retain are retained. Those who sins you loose are loosed. So not, you know, the, the power of absolution was given to the priesthood for the purposes of loosing sin, not the purposes of retaining sin. But in very isolated circumstances, it's necessary um, with a lot of wisdom and a lot of care uh, to do the opposite. And so that was the kind of thing that would bother Abu Nabshoi. Like, I have a bad hair day, I get upset. I stub my toe, I get upset. You know, uh, right? Somebody uh, looks at me funny on the road, I get upset. Somebody cuts me off, I get upset. Right? But, but Abu, Nabshoi, Abu Nabshoi wasn't like that. And I guess, you know, m more than just speaking about Abu Nabshoi, I want to ask a question. How can we be the same? And when I was thinking about this and I was thinking about what to speak to you about and, and how, how can we like learn from him? I mean, to, to commemorate the life of a person departed 40 years ago is beautiful. To learn from them and, and to live on the, their legacy and to live by the spirit which filled them, which is the spirit of Christ and to let it fill us and for us to live a life that honors them. That honors them. If we wish to honor Abu Nabshoi, and if we wish to honor his memory, we can, we can struggle to live like him. And we can struggle to ask the question, how can I also be somebody who doesn't 
get upset about the things that don't matter, but be deeply upset about the things that do. And thinking about that brings me to Philippians chapter 1. If you have a Bible, pull it out. We're going to just take like a few verses from here and there um, and, and, a, and a little bit about the, co- the context. You're going to find in Philippians chapter 1 that St. Paul is, is, mentions the word joy in, in the four chapters of Philippians 18 times. He says the word joy or rejoice um, or something uh, uh, related to that. And how, how can he say that? You're going to say, well, this must have been a man, this must have been a man who had it pretty good because he's telling us to rejoice. And in, in uh, chapter 4, verse 4, he even says, rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. How, how can someone be so joyful and so ready uh, to rejoice? Must, must things have been going, must have been going pretty good for him? Actually, they weren't. He wrote this epistle amongst several other epistles from prison. And he wrote this one from prison. It's believed when he was in prison in Caesarea and he was on death row. He wasn't only on death row, he wasn't just in prison, he was in the dungeon of the prison. The dungeon of the prison was like a hole in the middle of the prison that had a grate on top of it. And the prisoners would go to do their business in that grate. So he's, he is in a dark, stinky, wet, humid dungeon. Chained to a Roman soldier so that he doesn't escape. And because he had escaped prison once previously when he was in the prison in Philippi. When he was in the prison in Philippi, remember him and Titus were singing and praising and the, 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 dun, the, 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 the prison doors were broken and shaken and so on. And the, 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 the jailer believed in Christ and so on, right? So because of that, they didn't just imprison him, they chained him to a Roman guard to make sure he doesn't get away. And the Roman guard obviously was so disgusted to be stuck with this prisoner who who's, must have done something horrific because he's on death row, he's going to die, he's, right? And so you can imagine the treatment that St. Paul got from the, the Roman guard who was the Roman soldier that he was chained to. The whole thing is is just horrible. If I was writing you a letter in those circumstances, what would I say? What would I write? I would talk about how horrible the circumstance. I'd I'd be looking for your pity. You don't find any of that in St. Paul's. In fact, you find St. Paul comforting the Philippians and commanding them to rejoice and telling them that he himself is rejoicing. How is it that St. Paul was able to rejoice in these circumstances? The book of Philippians is really beautiful and there's so much that could be said, but I'm just going to take a couple of things very quickly from chapter 1. If you look at chapter 1, verse 3, St. Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine making request for you with all joy. St. Paul 
was remembering the Philippian church, praying for the Philippian church with joy. In verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You're going to see later in the chapter why this is so important. He believes that he began a good work in, in Jesus Christ. It's not his work. It's the work of Christ that he began. And it will be completed in its due time. When? He doesn't know. How? He doesn't know. And by whom? He doesn't know, but it doesn't look like it's going to be him. It looks like he is going to die in a few weeks time or something. He, he doesn't end up he doesn't end up dying, but it looks like he's going to die pretty soon and doesn't look like he's the one who's going to bring the work to completion. But he believes, he knows for a fact in his heart by faith that the work of Christ will be completed. And he has no doubt in this. A little later down in verse 12 to 18, you find that St. Paul is talking about something which was happening that he heard about while he was in prison. You see, when St. Paul, Paul was not in prison and he was preaching, he found other people were preaching. If you look in verse 14, some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from, from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not so sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains. So he's saying some people were preaching out of love, but other people were preaching the gospel out of what? Selfish ambition. What was really happening? People were preaching the gospel for money. If you preach, if I preach, pay me. If not, go to hell. Literally, I will not share the message of the gospel with you. What is that? What is that in, you know, what is that in English? Go to hell, right? St. Paul was very upset about this. And he was stopping these people. And he was identifying these people from city to city he would go to. And he was telling them, these people don't care about your salvation. They just found the newest thing. The, 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 new, the newest product that anyone will buy and they're selling you that. Don't listen to these people even if they're preaching the truth because they're not doing it out of they're not doing it out of love. St. Paul here says verse 18 what then? What then of these people? And he's saying that like to add like suffering to my misery, like I'm already in prison. They want to add suffering to my chains for me to hear that the gospel which I preached is now no longer being preached for free. And I suffered to preach it for free. And I would stay up all night making tents and all day preaching so that I wouldn't have to charge you find in, in St. Paul talks about this in Corinthians so I wouldn't have to charge anybody a penny but I took care of my own needs in fact he was working to make money to pay for the needs of Timothy and Titus and Silas and to send them out and sending them on boats to go to these cities with letters and epistles you think that was for free? where did that money come from? from St. Paul working his tail off not wanting to take a penny from anyone lest anyone say 
the, cost, the gospel cost me something. Now these people are preaching and charging money. What does St. Paul say? Should St. Paul, what would you do? What would you do if you were the one in prison? Look at what St. Paul says in verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whatever, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. In this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. You find St. Paul here realizes something. Wait a minute. But the gospel is being preached. And from here you realize the strength of St. Paul. Why was St. Paul able to endure all of this? It's very simple. You find the answer even clearer. The, the first hint was there in verse 18. The next hint, to be very clear, after that he says, you know, I don't know whether I want to die or to live. To be honest with you, I'd love to go to heaven and be with Jesus. But you need me here. So I don't even know what to pray. I don't know, to, should I be praying for deliverance from, from my sentence of capital punishment? Or should I be praying uh, to, 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 that they put me to death sooner so I can go and be uh, with, with, with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ in paradise? In verse 21, he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain says, for me to live is Christ, is to do the work of Christ, is to live with Christ, is to participate in the life of Christ, is to be with Christ. And to die is gain, is wealth to me. I'm richer, I'm more wealthy if I die. But you need me, so I don't know, should I die, should I live? What, what, what ought I be, be praying for? You find here the secret of St. Paul. The secret of the joy of St. Paul was St. Paul, St. Paul went to the stock exchange. He didn't go to the stock exchange, but I'm gonna give you this analogy. St. Paul, imagine he goes to the stock exchange and he sees multiple different companies that he can invest in. And he sees this one, you know, is low risk, but also low, you know, low uh, benefit. This one's high risk, but can make a lot of money. This one is no risk, zero risk, the highest benefit. So he says, I will invest everything in that one. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you invest in the thing with the lowest risk and the highest return? Usually the thing that has the highest return has the highest return because it has the highest risk. But St. Paul went and he found the one that has the highest return, actually certain return, 100% guaranteed return and zero risk. Well, zero risk in one sense. So he said, I'm going to invest everything in that one. He didn't put, he didn't diversify his portfolio. There's no need. You diversify, diversify your portfolio. I don't know anything about money, by the way, but they tell me, don't take this, don't, don't go, don't you, this is not financial advice. I will not be held legally liable for any of your actions after this talk. You diversify your portfolio so you can, so you can spread out the risk. 
If you, if you buy all your stock, you put all your money, you put all your investment, you put all your time, you put all your effort, you put all your energy in one thing, and for, for whatever reason, it doesn't, it, it doesn't pan out, you've lost everything. But if you put a little bit here and a little bit here and a little bit here and a little bit here, if this one goes down a little bit, that one will go up a little bit and so on. And in the end, you'll come out a winner, right? But you only do that, you only do that if you're still liable, if you're still subject to risk. But see, St. Paul realized that he found the investment that has 100% return, zero risk. So he sold out. He sold out all his other stocks and he put them all in that one. Wouldn't you do the same? What was, what's that company that has 100% return, zero risk to preach the gospel? To preach the gospel. He knew that nothing can stop God. Be on God's team, nothing can stop you. So he devalued in his heart, in his mind, everything else in life to the point that everything else in life had no meaning to his life. Jesus tells us that. Why do you worry about what you will eat and what you will drink and what you will wear? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Look at the lilies of the field. Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Look at the sparrows. God feeds them from his hand like he fed Adam and Eve from his hand before they chose to eat from the bidding of the serpent. St. Paul realized that the trick, it's not a Sunday school lesson. It's not a Sunday school lesson. It's practical life. It's practical life. I love lots of things. I'm trying to lose weight these days, okay? I realize that my, my four-year-old and my one-year-old outrun me 10 times out of 10, and I figured this is, this is, this is shameful. You know what I mean? My legs are longer, are longer than the entire kid. You know, I should really be able to outrun them. So I gotta get, get in shape. I found myself talking with a friend of mine, and while I was talking with him, I found myself saying the words, yeah, but I love food. And something inside me got really felt there's something wrong with that. I probably said that phrase a thousand times, but I felt convicted in that moment that I'm called to love I'm called to love Jesus and Jesus alone. What's this business I love food? What is food? Within 45 minutes, right? It's, it's gone out of your stomach. Two hours later, it all looks the same. You don't need a lot of description. You get to meet it at least once a day, right? What is this I love food? Saying I love food is saying like I love poo. I was a surgeon in my past life and I did surgery mostly on intestines, a lot of colorectal surgery. I dealt with a lot of poo. A lot of people become colorectal surgeons because they love colorectal surgery. Not a single one of them loves poo. I'll tell you that. Nobody loves poo. I love food is the same as saying I love poo. What is this? I, and if I examine my life carefully, I find that there's lots of other things that I love that don't have Jesus written after them. I love 
this, I love that, I love that. St. Paul realized that as well. But St. Paul was more courageous than me. He said, I'm going to stop loving food. I don't love you anymore. Food is food. You eat it, two hours later, it's poo. I don't care. I'll eat anything. I'll eat anything. I'm not going to go out of my way for food. I'm not going to do a detour for food. I'm going to eat whatever is presented to me with thanks, giving thanks to God for His good gifts. And that's the end of the story. But there's something more precious for me to love. And that's the preaching of the gospel. It's, it's G- yes, Jesus. But specifically, you'll find in Philippians chapter 1, his obsession is that the gospel is preached. Put me in prison, put me in a dungeon, chain me to a guard, have other soldiers pooing on my head. I don't care. As long as you tell me that the gospel is being preached. Yes, but the gospel is being preached out of pretense and out of uh, 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 pride and out of selfish ambition and out of desire for money and greed. Doesn't matter. Is the gospel being preached? Yes. Doesn't matter. God will erase all of that badness. God, Christ will take care of all of that badness. The gospel is being preached. And St. Paul knew that the gospel will be preached to the whole world. Why? Because Jesus said so. Put all your value, all of what you love, in something you cannot lose. No one can upset you. Abu Nabshoi Kamal realized that. Abu Nabshoi Kamal did that. The only thing that would upset him would be when he would feel that this person is on the brink of hell. That would bring him to his knees. That would, that would upset him. Otherwise, he never got upset. You and I choose what we allow us to upset us and what we don't allow to upset us. It's a choice. It's not a choice you make in the moment that you get upset. It's a choice that you make long before. The moment that I chose not to love food anymore, I became much more okay with eating anything, whether it tastes good or doesn't taste so good. Because you know what? What I eat is not the highlight of my day anymore. Because I love something else. What are you going to invest in what are you going to put your value in what are you going to put your hope and your desire in what are you going to put your love in put it in something that you cannot lose and you will be happy and we had a living example of that 40 years ago named the boon of shoy kamen glory be to god forever and ever amen i have sinned forgive me my fathers absolve me my brothers and sisters please pray for me